I want to talk to you about Christ, our healer. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Psalms 103. We'll take some time to just read through here some verses. As I talk to you about Christ, our healer. In Psalm 103, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. That's as far as we need to go this morning on this subject of Christ, our healer. Look at verse number two in Psalm 103, where we are instructed not to forget the benefits of serving Jesus Christ. Of course, once again, the most important thing in this world is to know that you have hope for the next world. To believe what Jesus has done on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, obviously that's most important. However, knowing Christ also comes with benefits. Now, for those of you who have jobs that may not pay as well as you would wish, but you have benefits, you have health insurance, maybe your employer pays for a 401k or something like that. Those benefits are money in the bank. I often tell young people that you got health insurance, that's a big thing nowadays, and other things as well. And you can't forget his benefits, and we should not forget his benefits. That Christ is not only our savior for eternity, but he is our healer. And as I just mentioned here in this church alone, right now, there is a great need for healing to take place in the lives of many, many people. Many people. And again, some of you may know of some instances and some may know of other instances, but I know of them all. And there's a great need for healing right here, right here. To have Christ become not only our Savior for eternity, which again, once again, is most important, but to be our healer and to take part of the benefits. I actually know a man who has a good job and does not take the insurance offered to him by his company because he has veterans benefits. And yet in a discussion with an illness that he has, a condition that he has, I advised him, I said, well, if I was you, I would take the benefits that your company is offering and go to see a specialist on this because they're not going to be covered by the VA. But why someone wouldn't take part, and this is a friend of mine, why he wouldn't take the benefits that are freely given to him, I know his reasoning, I just don't agree with it. Anyway, he'll do what he wants. But you and I must not forget the benefits that come with knowing Christ right here and right now. And as I've said to you over the years, many, many times, you won't need to ask Christ for healing when you're gone, when you're in heaven, when you're with Jesus. You need it now. I'm under the opinion that we're not going to need to ask God to give us joy because there won't be, this is my understanding, there won't be anything in heaven that's going to impede our joy or come against it. If there's no sin present, but well, then there's going to be nothing to impede. So everything, as I understand it, will simply come naturally. We need the joy now, we need the faith now, we need the hope now, and we need the healing now. 
Your body is not going to be sick when it's resurrected as Jesus has a resurrected body. It's now that you need it. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget all the benefits that is offered to us in Jesus' name. Who redeems our life from destruction. Who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Satisfies our mouth or mouths with good things. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. When we look at the children of Israel that did obey the Lord, we find out that in the in millions of people, there wasn't one feeble one among them. God took care of them every single day. And I'm talking about the ones who believed in him and stayed faithful to him. Not one feeble one. But in Christianity today, and the older I get, the more questions I have. Not about the book. And I don't even have that many questions for God. Believe it or not, I don't. I have questions about people who purport to believe this book. And yet just don't seem to produce much evidence. And I'm not saying that they don't actually believe, but I'm suggesting that what they have done is they forgot the benefits. It's not just about the ultimate payday, which is to see Christ, again, most important, but all the benefits in between. I said to you a week or two back that if the word of God really took deep root at any place that you read it, deep root in your heart, it just automatically changes your thinking. You don't have to think about changing your thinking. Because you already believe what is written and it automatically changes your thinking because you believe it. The fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever is where we can start to look at Jesus the healer. This is what brought me to the place of healing over 50 years ago. When I was told there is no hope for you, I was directly told that. It's impossible and there's no cure. There's nothing for you. If I had believed that, I wouldn't be here today. I don't think I would be alive either. But I know that I wouldn't be here today. But it was because I refused to believe the report that was given to me for whatever the reason was. I didn't have much knowledge of the Bible. I sought after God. And Psalm 34, 4, as you know, has become one of my foundational verses for my entire life in Christ. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. I wish you could have seen me 50 years ago. And so I'm proposing to you that if you actually believe what this book says on any point and it takes root in your heart, it automatically changes your attitude, the way you view things, including the times that we live in. They're mentioned in the book. And then things take on a whole different perspective. I was reading the story of an experiment that took place some years back. Of course, they usually experiment with different types of animals, but a lot with rats. And they took some rats and they submerged them in water. They wanted to see how long it would take for the rats to drown. And it wasn't long, just a few minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. The second time around, they took the rats at the point where they were almost ready to die, and they took them, and they took them out of the tank, restored them, you know, dried them off, fed them, whatever. Then, a little while later, a day or so, whatever it was, put them back in the tank. First time, they only lasted 10, 12 minutes. Do you know how long they lasted the second time? Of course, it was a different group. They lasted for over three days. And they came up with this conclusion, that because the second group had hope, that before death takes place, they would be taken out. They could swim for three days. The first group could only swim for 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever it was. It was a short period of time. But the second group could swim for days because in their minds, they said to themselves, eventually someone's going to pull me out of this. 
And I think this represents the ideal mentality for a true believer. Your suffering doesn't matter what you're suffering with. You can start with the mental conditions of depression and anxiety and all the things that we're dealing with, chaos, and then go into your physical diseases of the cancers and the heart diseases and all of these things. Once you have a hope that at some point Christ will reach down and take you out of this situation and heal you, you can go on for a long, long time. Because we all know that we pray for people, things don't happen the way we read in the book of Matthew, where immediate healings take place. But then again, none of us are Jesus. But if we have the hope that this too shall pass, because God who cannot lie has made us promises, then you're not only able to endure what you're going through at the moment, whatever it may be, from the mental to the physical, from the spiritual to the corporeal, you're able to understand that eventually Christ is going to reach down and save you. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my... You can fill in the blank with something other than just fears. Fill in the blank. There is nothing impossible with God. We must never limit God no matter what the diagnosis, the prognosis, and no matter what we see in front of us. We can never limit God. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And we read that in places like Luke 137 and others. Nothing is impossible. But when we are not here, when our faith is not in verses like Luke 137, then we start to entertain the thoughts that come into our mind that we're never going to get well, probably going to die from this, and so on. I remember... 15 years ago, when I was diagnosed with heart disease and told that I had to have surgery, a voice came in my head, you're going to die from this. Then another voice came in my head and said, yeah, what did your father die from? So I said, well, heart disease. And what did his seven brothers all have? They all had one thing. It was eight boys. My grandmother had eight boys. Raised them alone, single mom. They all had heart disease. So these voices are coming in my head. And what about your grandfather, my father's father? What did he die from? Yeah, heart disease. He was 38. But then I had a decision to make here. I had to be able to say, my dad certainly did, and some of my uncles as well, they all had heart surgery. Every one of them, eight of them. My grandfather certainly did, died on a milk truck at 38 years old. But I had to make a decision. A verse that's found in the Psalms here that says, I will not die but live and declare the glory of the Lord. And that decision I had to make 50 years ago in another condition, as you know about, I may speak about it later, we'll see. Decisions have to be made. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget the fact that, yeah, you're going to heaven, and that's great, but don't become fatalistic about it. I don't know, I still don't know. I mean, there's days when I say to myself, you know, just can't wait to get out of here. But I have to tell you that it's not my norm. My norm is I told you that there's a fight going on and I want to be in this fight. I'm here today because I want to be in the fight other than on a golf course or whatever people do once they retire. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have retired. Some of you are retired. It's taking me all this time to just figure out what I'm doing. I've never been of more value to people in this area of my expertise, which is the Bible, than I am right now. Why should I want to go out and leave everybody? In other words, I see life from a point of duty, that we must do our duty. This is how I view life. This is why I want to be healed. As I've told you, anybody can be sick. It's easy to be sick. You don't have to do anything. Once you're sick and you're already diagnosed, you don't have to do anything. 
but to speak out against a heart disease or diabetes or cancer or whatever, that takes faith. And faith is always a fight. Faith is always, absolutely always a fight. In the late 1800s, the British suffered a major defeat in Africa by the Zulu tribe. And then there was an event that took place after this great defeat where British soldiers came to what was a missionary, mission station, known as Rourke's Drift. And they were going to hold that position. They're going to hold off the Zulu tribe, which had already been taking the guns off of dead soldiers, and now they were armed and so on and so forth. 4,000 Zulu soldiers, 150 British. And they suffered quite a bit as the Zulus just kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. But at one point, the British put up such a valiant fight for this little, little station, this little missionary station, that the last wave of Zulu soldiers, when the British were now just ready to die, like the rats, the Zulus stopped attacking and sang a song of honor to these brave soldiers. You know what? That's where I want to be. I don't want to be among those that were there with the 150 that were arguing with the commanding officer, telling them, we're going to lose, we're going to die, we're out of here, we're leaving. They even took some wagons with them. And I don't know how you look at life, but that's how I look at life. Life is a sense of duty. It's doing the right thing. It's doing what we're supposed to do instead of just enjoying ourselves. And this is, again, the way I look at it. Believing in eternity, I believe I'm going to have plenty, if I can use the word time, to enjoy myself in the next life, which is not that far away. So now it's time to do our duty. If uh, in another instance, they made a movie called Zulu in 1964 about this incident. And there's a similar story told in the movie Jeremiah Johnson. Where during the course of his pilgrimage into the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, to become a trapper and just live alone. And he meets another mountain man who becomes his teacher and his mentor. But along the way, the Crow Indians take issue with Jeremiah Johnson, whose real name in real life was John Johnston. He was a real man, a real trapper, a real person. They kill his wife and they kill the baby that was in her womb. So he takes war upon this whole nation, one man, and began to kill them one by one. What is not mentioned in the movie is that John Johnston's nickname was not only Crow Killer, but liver-eating Johnston. He used to, when he would kill one of the Crow soldiers or warriors, he would rip out their liver and eat it. Uh, just as a sign of contempt. Me, I don't like liver. <laughs> but if you've ever seen the movie, at the end when the chief, goes by the name of paints his shirt red, comes and sees Johnson, Johnson immediately reaches for his 50 caliber Hawken. But then the chief just puts up his hand like this, truce. Now, stories vary about how many crows he actually killed, one by one. I've read his book, and I won't mention the number, but it was quite a lot. One by one, he took on a whole nation by himself. And finally, at the end, if you, again, if you've seen the movie, paints his shirt red, the chief just holds up his hand in honor. I'm going to suggest to you that that's the way you want to live your life. The Irish have an expression, death before dishonor. We are here to do our duty, and we must not forget all his benefits. Let me just go on with this, because we sang this song during the song service about being at war and demonic hosts, and I just told you my opinion about what's happening in church after church, including here, where there's a sweep uh, going through, a storm going through the church, bringing serious diseases, and many people just resign themselves to them. Then they hardly put up a fight. It's like, well, this is what I got. And I'm suggesting... Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. I shared this with you last week, I believe. 
So you've been a nervous person your whole life. Let me tell you something. I can prove this not only biblically, but in secular books, it can be overcome. And not only can be overcome, it should be overcome. So that we are real witnesses. That I can say to you, this is what I have seen with my own eyes. And as you know, I've used that expression many times in life. And here at the pulpit, the man with an experience is never at the mercy of the man with an argument. That's why so often I'm not moved by what people think or what they say because I already know what I've seen in these last 50 years, almost 50 years of ministry. And so you have, for those of you who were in the United States Marine Corps, you have this absolute star retired as Lieutenant General Lewis Burwell Puller, Chesty Puller. Look at the medals this man had. He had five Navy crosses, the Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star, Legion of Merit, with the V, which means valor. Uh, had two of those, a bronze star with V, valor. Three device air medals and a purple heart. The most decorated Marine that's ever lived was Chesty Puller. But not to be outdone, the Army has their hero too, in Audie Murphy. Audie Murphy to this day stands as the most decorated American soldier that's ever lived. Let me read you his accolades. The Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, two silver stars, Legion of Merit, bronze star, two. One with valor. Three Purple Hearts. Legion of Honor from France. The Croix de Guerre with Silver Star from France. The Croix de Guerre with the Palm. Three of them from France. Croix de Guerre with the Palm from Belgium. Outstanding Civilian Service Medal. Texas Legislative Medal of Honor. I share with you this from time to time. These are the men that we want. These are the men I want to read about. I don't want to read a book that says, I spent my lifetime as a loser and ended my life as a loser. I don't know that that would interest you. And it may interest me to find out what in the world was in this person's mind, man or woman, that determined that they were satisfied to start a loser, to be a loser, to stay a loser, and finish as a loser. But I know that's not in my mind, and it shouldn't be in yours. How long is it before we meet Christ? In my estimation, it's not long. And we will give a report. And so we must not forget all of the benefits that have come to us with accepting Christ. We must not forget what Christ has given to us right here and right now. When I write to you on Saturday night, I always say to you, I'll see you tomorrow on the best day of the week, the Lord's Day. It's because in my book, it is the best day of the week. And there's other things I enjoy in life, but not as much as... Singing and praying and the word of God, best day of the week. When we get a chance to be refreshed, challenged, built back up again, the shine put back on us again. Do you remember Grigory Rasputin, known as the Mad Monk? Well, he worked his way into the royal family. Some parts of his life are just debatable. But they say, as some say, he was drunk every day of his life. And not very keen on hygiene, but yet the women took to him. Why? Because he was a con artist. So this is what I want to say to you, introducing to you the subject of healing. Because of the many con artists we have in the church today that have taken this topic, which is of unilateral need. I mean, everyone needs to hear this type of a message on faith and what faith can do and moving mountains and being healed. The problem is that largely the con artists have taken over the scene, perverted the message, so that many people, preachers, don't want to go there to be associated with these con artists. But I remind you of this as well. The Latin expression abusus non toilet usum means abuse does not rule out proper use. Even though so many have perverted the message of healing, 
done stunts that you've known about, you've heard about, you've watched, false reports, false testimonies, and brought discredit to this doctrine, as well as the Lord Jesus Christ, it still does not rule out preaching the healing Jesus. It still does not rule out the verse I'm going to read to you in just a moment, to be anointed with oil, and that the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Abusus non toilet usum means that an abuse of a doctrine does not rule out its proper use. And that's what I hope to bring to you today. The duty of bringing forth the word of God that is written here, even though some abuse it and use it to manipulate the people, sick people. Quick story, very quick story comes to my mind. I went to see one of these so-called faith teachers many years ago, I was newly born again. Like so many others, it was a healing service. That's what it was booked as in the Nassau Coliseum. When I went there, there was a lot of singing, and that was pretty good. Then this superstar, who's still on television, got up, and I'm thinking it was close to 40 minutes, talked about the offering, the money, and this and that, and expenses, and whatever. And you know that these people live in the very lap of luxury. Not comfortable like many of you live, with a nice home, and a clean home, and what have you. Manicured lawn. They live in the lap of luxury. He's talking 40 minutes about the offering. And I'll never forget that he said this. He said, now, and don't any of you do anything foolish like putting in a faith check. If you don't have it in the bank, don't put it in the bucket. Now, this is not something related to me. I was there. I heard him say, I didn't give anything in that offering. Nothing. Because I remember him being on TV and talking to the people who would listen to him. If you really believe the Lord, you can buy your furniture on time. Meaning, you can go to the store, get thousands of dollars worth of furniture. God will pay it off. But it wasn't good for his offering. Last time I ever listened to him, that was long, decades and decades ago. You know why? Because they're con artists. They're con artists. And they prey on the people's needs. But here's the worst part. When they brought all the sick up in wheelchairs and everything else, he didn't pray for one of them. Not one of them. Well, that was the beginning of my education in this modern form of Christianity or whatever it is, this perversion. But I will tell you this, abusus non toilet usum. Because it's abused by some, does not rule out its proper use, and Jesus Christ is still our healer. Come with me to James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. God's word instructs us, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. This is in the word of God. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. These are benefits. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, there's a whole message in that, but we'll just isolate a few things. Is there any sick among you? I have told you this story, but I want to repeat it because I don't remember how long ago it's been. We had a young woman at the time. She was, well, she's a lot younger then, still a lot younger than me now. And she had two herniated discs. So if any of you, and there are some of you who have back problems with degenerative disease of a disc, that starts pushing up against the spinal column. Or if you have it down here near the sacrum, and over here at the end of your spinal column is called the corticoina, the horse's tail, where all the cranial nerves are coming out. And you got a disc pressing up against that. That could be an exceptional, painful experience. Well, this is what happened with her. 
And she came to the building, the church building, in excruciating pain. One day, on just a regular day, it wasn't a Sunday, it wasn't a special healing meeting, we didn't have any signs, nothing. And she had this verse, and she quoted it, just what we read. She said, the book says, the Bible says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil. She was in great pain, she was in great agony. And this is what I said to her, and at that time I had some staff. I said, okay, it's our job to pray, it's your job to believe, what we all believe. God is going to touch you and do something. She said, I believe. We anointed her with oil right in the hallway. Nothing special, no organ music, no offerings, nothing, nothing, except olive oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and in this case, my right hand. Laid hands on her. She left the building. She went back to the orthopedic surgeon that did another series of x-rays or MRIs, CAT scan, I don't recall what it was. And he held up the two x-rays. And he said, I cannot explain what has happened. But all I can tell you is that the woman in this x-ray with the degenerative discs and the woman in this x-ray is not the same woman when he knew it was. From that day to the last time I saw her, which has been some time now, she was free from that pain. Because there's a verse here that says, are you sick? Be anointed with oil by the elders of the church. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. That's what it says. I don't care what scholar, I don't care what theologian, I don't care what popular preacher who doesn't believe in this says, well, healing's not for today, and it may be because of the fact that there are so many con artists out there. It's still for today. And why? Because it's in God's book. Pray for the sick, and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. So abuse of a doctrine, any doctrine, does not rule out its proper use. Let's look at a few scriptures here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, speaking of Jesus, and his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And if you read further, You see that Jesus dispossessed the devil. By the way, on that verse alone, we must come to this realization and hold this in the front of our minds as we read Ephesians chapter 6. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we're told to put on the whole armor of God. Why would we need armor if we're not at war? It's a war. But more importantly, we're taught that behind the scenes, behind the curtain, there are powers which we know as devils and demons and the chief, of course, is Satan that's working things. Once again, not without the permission of God. We read that in Job. But we're working against spiritual forces. They are more intent on destroying this church than many of you are in building it. Now, just don't get angry with me. There are devils that are more interested in destroying this church destroying your pastor, his family, and so on, all the way out to the least amongst us than many of you are in building it up. That's got to change. America doesn't have any hope at this point, in my view, until we have God arrive on the scene and show us mercy. And I do believe if the power of God, which is written in this book in Mark 16, these signs shall follow in my name. And we go through the signs of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and one of which is not only casting out devils, but healing the sick as well. It's written by Jesus. I don't think anybody here wants to argue with him. Do you want to amend his book? 
He's not giving you permission, and I gave you the verses a few weeks back. Over and over and over again, God says, don't add to my book and don't take away from it. I could take away from the book in a clever way that you would never pick up on by just skipping over things, which I don't, but I could. And if you're not reading it, you'd never know it's even in the book. So why do I say to you all the time, read it for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself so you'll know what's in the book. I can't cover but so much on a Sunday morning. And I preach for an hour. The fact that you will sit and listen is a miracle. <laughs> Preachers don't preach like this anymore. Get you in and out. That's what attracts so many people. They can get in and out, in and out. What is this like? Um, One-stop shopping. Get you in and out. Then you can go on with your day. And let me say this again. I say it a lot, and I'm going to say it again. I say men, it's not just men. I've met women who know more about baseball than most men. This one woman knew a whole lot more than I know. Anyway, sit for three hours watching football. Some of you are going to do that today. I'm not saying that I won't watch football today. I'm going to later on. Not a problem. A good movie, if it's indeed a good movie, we can spend hours and hours and hours. But if you go out and tell someone that your pastor preaches for an hour, say, what? An hour? How long does the service last? Well, they meet for prayer at 930 then at 10 o'clock, they have songs. Then they have communion. Then they ask for money. They're always asking for money. And then he's preaching. Then there's prayer. It could last three hours. Wow. Three hours talking about eternal life and healing and deliverance. When you can't even trust, let me say this to you and look it up for yourself. You can't even trust the NFL right now that it's even legit. But you watch it all day long with no problem. And I'm not standing as a hypocrite. So can I. But it doesn't come before this book, and it doesn't come before duty and commitment to Christ. It doesn't come before these things, and it doesn't come before remembering all his benefits. What would you say to someone who's armed, and somebody's attacking you, and you don't reach for a weapon? And you're going to say, well, you know, I, I, uh, that's why you have a gun. I'm a little bit on a rabbit trail here, but my point is to say, if I was you, I wouldn't do that meaning they're going to try to take your life or your family, whatever. You mean business. Now, when it comes to spiritual things, because we can't see, we don't believe. How many of you have a Bluetooth? Bluetooth anything. Bluetooth phone, got a speaker, connect to a Bose speaker. I got a, both. I don't see anything. When I hit the button to play something, whatever it may be, and I'm using my Bose speaker, I don't see anything. So I don't say, I can't see it, therefore it does not exist. Because I know it exists, because when I hit the button over here that says Bluetooth, and that goes on, though I see nothing, something is happening. When I was in x-ray, you don't see an x-ray in any way, any shape, or any form. You just don't see it. But there's changes taking place in your body. You just hold up, there's your chest, there's your heart, and all that. And so people make an argument about no one has seen God, which the book says, by the way. God says, no one has seen my face. If they do, they'll die in this world. And they make an argument out of what? You can't see him, so you don't believe? There's many, many things we don't see that we know exist. And right now, Jesus, who said, we're two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. I don't have to see him. I know in nature or in physics, things exist that I do not see, but they do exist. And I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen. That he will stand upon the earth in the latter days. But in the meantime, we have the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. And he's amongst us. And he's still the healer because he said so. Amen. Not because some man says, no, he's not. And he always was. You don't need a healer in heaven. As far as I know, there's no emergency rooms, no hospitals, nothing. 
I hate to be sick, I really do. I don't care if I have a little runny. The other day, my nose was running. And you know, I had to take a little tissue with me. And every time I bent over, it was running. And all I kept doing was, a, man, I hate to be sick, I really do. I'm a cooperative patient, but I hate to be sick. And I'm just saying this to you very politely. We gotta to learn to attack, to get off the defense, and pray believing that the God with whom nothing is impossible is hearing our prayers and expecting an answer. Expecting those discs like this one woman I mentioned to you would somehow be healed. I don't know exactly, I don't know the whole story of what happened precisely other than the doctor was amazed. We had this same type of thing with the woman with that problem with her foot. Prayed for her, same thing happened. They took another x-ray and the things changed in the x-ray. Are you going to say today because you can't see it, you don't believe it? Even though you're committed to reading the Bible, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and healeth all thine diseases, and so on? Are you going to forget his benefits? Will you be willing, like these 150 British soldiers, up against 4,000 members of the Zulu tribe, that easy could have wiped them out. They just had such admiration for them near the end that they sang a song of honor to these brave soldiers who would not give up, who would not give in. Some of them did get killed. Some of them didn't. They were just coming in droves. We could have easily wiped them out. Hundreds plus thousands coming at these men. 150 finally sang a song of honor to the bravery. How do you want to enter heaven? Again, it doesn't take any faith when you're sick. Just stay sick. Just give up. But that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Give up. Stop pushing in. Don't try so hard. Don't be a fanatic. Don't listen to your pastor. He's not a well man. He's not in his right mind. <laughs> Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Matthew 15, 22. And behold, the woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And that's when Jesus tested this woman. I mentioned it last week. And she said, well, even the dogs get crumbs. A woman, great. Isn't that what you want to hear Jesus say? Oh, put in your name. Great is thy faith. But you don't have great faith for someone who climbs in the ring. And when he sees the opponent, as soon as he sees the opponent, he's scared and says, I give up. I quit. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. Or do you admire the person who, no matter what, just simply won't give in, just simply won't give up? I watched Muhammad Ali. Well, it happened to be Jerry Quarry, but I've seen him with a few others. He's beating him so bad that he had to keep turning to the ref saying, stop the fight. Jess Willard, when he fought Jack Dempsey, was the same thing. Jack Dempsey was beating him so bad, he broke several bones in his jaw, in his head, his ribs. The guy wouldn't quit. You can watch it on YouTube. Dempsey was hitting him so many times and so hard. He was breaking bone after bone after bone. And you wonder, how can this guy keep getting out of the corner? Those are the people that interest us. Here, watch this little short. He climbs in the ring. That's it. I don't want to fight. Look at the size of this guy. We don't want to hear about them. They're cowards. They don't deserve to have gloves on. We don't want to watch soldiers running from a fight. We want to watch them running into the fight. Those are the ones they make movies about that we find interesting, that we find a tear coming out of our eye because they would not quit and they would not give in and they would not give up and did their duty. And when sickness was around, whether in themselves or somebody else, they said, no, no, sir. In the name of Jesus, we lay hands on you and so on. Someone asked me, that was just recently, someone who's not very familiar with the Bible at all. Well, pastor, have you ever really seen someone who has a devil? <laughs> yeah. Pastor quite a few. 
I passed to quite a few of those rats that were in the experiment I talked to you about. You have it all in the ministry. You turn on the light and it attracts all kinds of people, including bugs. Yes, I've seen it. I have seen it. I've seen people come into the sanctuary saying the Holy Spirit's leading them when it's not. It's a demon spirit. That's why we need discernment today. And you need to read your Bible. And you need to let your faith go deep into the Bible so that you can be in that position. That you're not forgetting his benefits. A young man came to me. We were talking about his career. He was saying, I don't want to be, you know, 40 years old, 45 years old, and find out that, you know, I was unhappy in my job for the last 20 years or so. I said, no, I agree. You know, you've got to be prudent about what you choose. Then I told him this, and this is the truth. I said, but you know, if I could do my life all over again, you know what I would be? I'd be a preacher. That's the truth. Now, I have other gifts and talents, don't get me wrong. And I could have chose different roads before I chose this one. And there have been times I've had doubts about it. Did I choose the wrong path? Should I have went to music school and there's other things that were thrown at me when I was younger? But it was the call of God. If I had to do my life all over again, I'd be in a pulpit somewhere just like this one, maybe this one. I wouldn't change a thing because this, in the end, is the most important thing in this life. That we may actually know God. That's why you're... How many of you are actually reading the Bible? How many of you read through the cover to cover last year? How many of you made an attempt? Okay, so it's just about everybody here. Let me tell you now why you're reading the Bible. You're reading the Bible so that you can know the author. And you can't do that without practice. Knowledge doesn't help you. Knowledge, I mean, I could study engines. I could study anything I want. I got the brains. But if I don't work on your car, it's not going to fix it. I could sit there and say, well, you know how this works? You know what that is? You know? And you're going to say to me, would you fix the thing? (laughs) Knowledge does not work until you practice it. Until you actually do what it says. Until you put it to practice and you put it to work so that you actually see the results. That's what we want. We want to see the results. One more verse, Matthew 17, verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Here's Jesus comes. The man says, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't cast him out. And Jesus is not all that happy. O faithless, unbelieving generation. You call them perverse. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I endure you? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. And then we have this verse here. Jesus rebuked the devil. We're in a war, but we're always going to be in the war. The only way this war is going to end is when Jesus arrives. So stay locked and loaded because there is no discharge from this war until we die. And I will mention to you that Jesus will heal every disease or at least can heal every single disease except the last one. You're going to die from something. You say, well, I could die in my sleep because your heart stopped. So you die from something. But until that time, we must not forget his benefits. We must remind ourselves that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him and delivereth him in Psalm 34, 7. Do you believe that? The knowledge alone is not enough. It's getting rid of your fears. I believe if you can rid your fear of death, which is certainly put into this book, New Testament specifically, then what else is there to fear? If you can rid yourself of the fear of death, and believe me, I've been at enough deathbed scenes to tell you that not every professing Christian greets death in a way that I think it ought to be greeted. When you know that this is the end of your duty, that your time in God's service in his army is now over, and you're going home. 
But what do you think of a soldier who's in the middle of a war where lives are being lost? His own comrades, all he talks about is going home. Can't wait to go home. Wish I can go home. I mean, it's natural when you're really distressed, of course. But that's not the way we need to speak. You're going to go home eventually. So that's the good news. Just don't go home prematurely. When you're sick, when you're in trouble, when it's up against you, fight back. How do we fight? We read it in James 5. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It changes things. God changes things through prayer. Christ is still our healer. What are you up against today, physically or mentally? Voices come into your head that come into my head. How do I discern which one's God, which one's not God? The book. That's how I discern. The book. What if God himself does like he did with Abraham and tests you? Or Moses. God was so angry with Israel right there at the foot of Sinai that he says, you know what, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to make out of you, Moses, I'm going to make out of you a new nation. And how many of these opportunists that we have in ministry today would have said, yeah, that's good. Wipe out all the other preachers and make me the, uh, well, the superstar. But he said, no, no, no. Otherwise, the Egyptians are going to say that you couldn't deliver your people. And you said you would. Moses was defending the truth that God gave him. And God honored that. It's a test. You're being tested right now. We're all being tested. Determine that you're going to pass the test and be free in Jesus' name. Because Christ is still our healer. And if in the end you lose the battle with your disease, it's still a victory. What I'm just saying is, like Jess Willard, Jerry Quarry, and others I can name, just don't ever quit. Just don't ever quit. Just don't ever give up. There's no shame in losing, as I just mentioned, two fighters that lost badly. But you actually, I'm thinking about Willard now, just Willard. I actually felt more admiration for him, the loser, than I did Jack Dempsey, the winner. This man just wouldn't quit. Bones are being broken everywhere. He keeps getting out of the corner. That's the Christian that Christ makes, that no matter what, we keep getting out of the corner and we go one more round. One more round. So today... We're going to anoint with oil. We're going to pray up here. And we're going to believe Christ to touch you. Don't look at your disease. It could be a serious one. And don't scour the internet, which is the temptation now because we have so much information. Because rarely are you going to find any condition where they won't mention, oh, by the way, it could kill you. Because I do my own research on things. Oh, by the way, it could kill you. Well, it may kill him, but it's not going to kill me. That's my faith. But if you say, if you're at my funeral, you say, he was wrong. Just remember. I fought a good fight. And by the way, concerning my funeral, (laughs) it's going to be the best funeral you've ever been at. I mean that. My wife has already got a few choirs all signed up. They're going to be singing. There's going to be a short parade here in Amsterdam with bands and music and bugles. The greatest preacher in the world is going to be there. I don't know who that is at the moment. They're all going to be there. A celebration. Even if I lose, you say, oh, he lost. No, I didn't. I kept getting out of the corner. I didn't give up. I won't give up. And even if I lose, because Jesus said, why don't you come home now? Amen. Amen. Instant death, instant glory. We don't have to fear. But don't forget his benefits. Father, I pray with my friends, for my friends. Help them to see that there's something in the Bible that relates to their affliction that they're to learn. Mostly it's just trusting you more and more and more. Being led by your spirit. Pour out your spirit, Father, on your church worldwide, everywhere. Pour out your spirit and touch here at Time for Truth. 
that everyone that comes in would be learning. And more and more will stand up and rise to the occasion in service to the king. Pour out your spirit of comfort and assurance, God. Pour out your spirit today, Father, on my friends. Bless the time that we have remaining here in our fellowship and our time together. And be like those written in the book, those that fear the Lord, speak often one to another. Let your people leave here encouraged, not discouraged, nor in despair, nor in grief. Bless our time together, God. Help us to have good fellowship, even as your book says in the 133rd Psalm. Help us to have a time together that's enjoyable and puts the shine back on our spirits in this dark world. And I pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.